Now that wasn't too hard. I just realized when we gather together for Easter, we have this rousing, connecting introduction. He is risen, he is risen indeed. But when we come to First Advent, we don't have anything to uh, quite the same magnitude, so maybe we should invent one. If Scott agrees, it will be done. So, <laughs> how about if I say, God is with us, and you, and you respond, Emmanuel, God is with us indeed. I give you the longer line. Okay? God is with us, Emmanuel, God is with us indeed. Let's try that again. God is with us. I think we've started something. It's just may cross over the whole nation. But it is a delight to gather. <clears throat> Yet, not everyone who gathers on this weekend is all that excited about the birth of Christ. Our world reacts in different ways, does it not? To the birth of the Savior. I mean, you can kind of expect the world to do that. One of my favorite reactions, because of the way that it finally ends, <clears throat> every who down in Whoville liked Christmas a lot, but the Grinch, who lived just north of Whoville, did not. The Grinch hated Christmas the whole Christmas season, now, please don't ask why. No one quite knows the reason. It could be his head wasn't screwed on just right. <laughs> it could be perhaps that his shoes were too tight. But I think that the most likely reason of all may have been that his heart was two sizes too small. That indeed is the problem with many people in their celebration of Christmas, their heart is not in it. When we open up the Bible to the gospel according to Luke, I believe we have the opportunity to see how to respond to Christmas. J.C. Ryle was right when he said spiritual darkness had covered the earth for thousands of years and it was about ready to be rolled away. People did not know what was going to soon take place. The people who sat in darkness, they will see a great light. And those living in the land of deep darkness, a light will dawn. That's Isaiah 9, and it's quoted again, when Christ comes, the light of the world. You think about Luke chapter 2, and I want to focus in on the shepherds that are introduced to us in verse 8. You know, what role do the shepherds have to play? We have to go back to the beginning of Luke and remind ourselves that the author Luke, the human author, under the direction of the Holy Spirit, did a lot of investigating he wanted to get the facts straight, and then he wanted to set in order, proper order, the life of Christ. So he began at the beginning. He might have interviewed Mary for some of these facts. It's very possible. 
but he intentionally included the shepherds in the story and for a reason. They're not merely there for sentimental background. It's not because the shepherds are pastoral and it's a lovely scene and they've got fluffy little lambs and it just makes the story cute. No, no. The shepherds are there for far more than that. And may I suggest to you, they're there to show us how to respond to the Christmas message. They do it as well as anyone. So when we begin reading with verse 8, the scripture simply says, there were in the same country shepherds abiding in the field, keeping watch over their flock by night. And by the way, I'm using for the most part that uh, wonderful King James poetic translation. It's interesting that they were out in the fields and some argue that that's why Christmas cannot be in December because no shepherds are out in their fields with the flock. But the winter flock was always kept near the temple. They were sacrificial lambs destined for the temple. It could have been that flock, but it's really not that important. What we do have here, though, is Isaiah 61, verse 1 taking place, that the poor will have the gospel preached to them. And that's exactly who these shepherds were. They were poor. Did not have much of this money's wealth. And they were poor in reputation. In fact, they were not allowed in the temple, ironically, preparing sheep for the temple for a sacrifice that they couldn't take part in. They were looked upon in a very negative way in almost every area of society which sets the stage for the great grace of God and his condescension to the lowest of humanity. And while they were simply going about their job as they had done every night before, there is a sudden appearance of angels. Verse 9, and lo, the angel of the Lord came upon them, and the glory of the Lord shone round about them, and they were sore afraid. It's interesting that there is, in this scripture, literally, it just reads, an angel of the Lord stood near them. But his appearance brought glory around them. And like the sun in the evening, shining in its strength. I often wonder how many other people in the town of Bethlehem must have been affected by that light show. Didn't have to be there to see the light that was beginning to shine in the heavens. And so to these poor shepherds, there is an announcement like there was to Zechariah, the godly priest, or to the Virgin Mary who would carry the child. Or to poor Joseph, who's rather confused when he heard that his beloved was with child and he knew he wasn't the father. Angels appeared in all those situations, and now they appear to the shepherds. And the verse says, the glory of the Lord shone round about them, and they were sore afraid. Now here's some Greek you know. Sore afraid is basically two words. The word fear is phobos. Ever heard that before? Phobia. And the word sore is mega. Mega fear. 
which is translated, I think appropriately in the NIV, terrified. Terrified to the place they probably couldn't speak. Terrified to the place that they thought they were going to die. The fear basically is connected with the appearance of the angels because it was thought that when angels came, your time was done. That angels were the harbinger of death. They were the messengers coming to you to take you away. And so an appearance of an angel was not always a positive thing. But the first thing I want you to note is that in the response of the shepherds, we see comprehension. That's my word for it. I suppose it could be described in many different ways. But comprehension, look at verse 10. And the angel said unto them, fear not. For behold, I bring you good tidings of great joy, which shall be to all people. Those boys had a lot to fear in that evening with their being outcasts of society and the work was not always steady and certainly not lucrative. But nothing matched the fear of the angel's appearance. They felt as though they were face to face with God. And the boldest of the bold and the most arrogant of the conceited, when brought face to face with the other side, with eternity, with God or his messengers, the angels, they dissolve into nothingness. These men who might have been strong men became extremely weak. Humans are radically threatened by a holy presence because they know they're not holy and because they know that a holy God is justified in bringing judgment upon the unholy. We're radically threatened by a holy presence and that's what they felt that day. But isn't it interesting that the most common message throughout the Bible is the simple words, fear not, don't be afraid. Someone counted them, said there were 365 fear nots. I don't know, that may be true, but if it is, you've got one for every day. It's a common message because the gospel, the good news that is about to be presented to them can slay their fear just as it can slay yours. Oh, we're afraid of everything. Phobias are being invented. We can't keep up with all of them. But the fear of God cancels the fear of man. And God is the only one we should fear. Isn't it interesting in the narrative of the nativity, the birth of Christ, You've got a fear not to Zechariah in Luke 1 and a fear not to Mary in the same chapter, Luke 1. Chronologically, Matthew chapter 1 follows with a fear not to Joseph and now a fear not to the shepherds. Everyone in the story is encouraged to trust and lay their fears in the face of a sovereign God. I like what E. Stanley Jones said years ago. I am inwardly fashioned for faith, 
not for fear. That's the way God made us, right? To have fellowship with him. Faith is our native land. Fear is not. He said, I am so made that worry and anxiety are like sand in the machinery of my life. But faith is the oil. In anxiety and worry, my being is grasping for breath. These are not my native air. But in faith and confidence, I breathe freely. You were made to have faith in God. Anything else destroys your happiness and your hope, your joy, your effectiveness. But there is a little word in verse 10 that I want to highlight. After he said, fear not, he said, behold. This is an actual word in the original, which to my mind makes it unfortunate when some translations don't even acknowledge it. Behold. It's found about 199 times in the New Testament. It sounds a bit archaic, so we don't put it in our new translations. And ironically, when people put it in the new translations, sometimes they translate it by the word listen, when behold is the word see. (laughs) But that's where I get the idea of comprehension. For behold, sit up and take notice. Get this. Don't miss this. Let it sink down into your head and into your heart. Behold, this is, it's usually an announcement before something rather exciting and important. I want you to see this. Tim Keller translates it like this. Be not fearing, but be perceiving. See it. Understand it. Take it in. And that's where you start in your response to the Christmas message, you've got to understand what God has done in sending his son. This kind of theme and motif of seeing is found throughout the text. We see it in verse 15. Verse 17, they are going to see for themselves. Verse 20, they thank God for all that they have seen. So it's about seeing The wonderful gospel of Jesus Christ. And here's the heart of it. It's good news. Here's the effect of it. It brings great joy. And here's the scope of it to all people. And here's another reason why the message is given to the shepherds first. Because God is going to the lowest, to those who are usually overlooked. He's going to the ones that people despise. The gospel is being preached to the poor right here. And if God can save the lowest of humanity, he can save everyone else. The argument from the lesser to the greater. To the shepherds, the message comes. Some people might have rejected it because it didn't come to high society but they know nothing of the mercy and grace of God. Nor do they know anything about their own character because we judge shepherds as below us when before the foot of the cross, we are all on the same level. Sinners. Sinners. And that's where the gospel message starts, the bad news before the good news. 
So we've got to see him. We've got to comprehend. We've got to understand. We've got to see it with our soul. And have it touch our hearts. And now we celebrate his birth, the coming of our Lord to earth. Oh, may we grasp his matchless worth. Let's see the Lord this Christmas. As joyous bells ring out their song, may we join with the festive throng, exalting him with praises strong. Let's see Christ our Lord this Christmas. Let's see him. Verse 11, the message goes on. For unto you is born this day in the city of David. So you have all people in verse 10 and then a personal unto you. It's not just general, it's specific. It's for each individual. Unto you is born this day in the city of David. There's the place. A savior. There's his mission. Who is Christ the Lord, there's his identity. The mission is that Jesus came to seek and to save that which is lost. In John 3, 16, for God so loved the world that he gave. In John 3, 17, God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but that the world through him might be saved. The Father gave the Son as a gift, and the Father sent the Son on a mission. And the gift was for our salvation, and the mission was to save us, not condemn us. We were already condemned. The joy of Christmas is the heart of God in giving so that we could be forgiven and so that we could be redeemed. And by the way, notice, he is the Savior, verse 11 And he is the Lord, the Savior and the Sovereign. Never forget, he is both in your life. And the word Messiah wonderfully encapsulates them both. For the Messiah is the Deliverer, the King Deliverer. He is both Savior and Sovereign. That's who he is. And when we accept these good tidings of great joy aimed at all people, especially me, you can say, that should conquer and that should eliminate your fear. Fear runs when faith in God is healthy. So they were given a sign, verse 12. This will be a sign unto you. You'll find a babe wrapped in swaddling clothes, lying in a manger. Did you notice that the angels wanted them to go? There's a sign for you. I don't want you guys just to stay here and revel in this experience. I want you to go. And when you get to Bethlehem, there'll be a sign for you. Now think about just the logistics of it all. How many babies would have been born in Bethlehem? Well, you have to know how many inhabitants you have and I'm guessing you know three four hundred maybe which means out of a population that small there's probably not going to be a whole lot of babies and most of those babies are born in dwellings or homes but the sign here is that this baby will be found in a feeding trough and you won't find many of those can you imagine them going from place to place I don't know, maybe they had some more insight than this. 
But it didn't take long until they finally found the child, and there was the sign, the baby wrapped in swaddling clothes, the Jewish custom with the hope that the baby would grow up to be straight and healthy and strong, and they would take the wrapping off and change it on a regular basis and had powder to put on the baby. And suddenly, verse 13, there was with the angel, that one angel, a multitude of angels, the heavenly host, praising God and saying, they were treated to an incredible concert from heaven's choir. I love when our choir sings, and wasn't the choir and the orchestra great today? It's just, it's, uh, music does something to our soul, especially when the music is connected with a relationship. And God is the author of music, and he wants our souls to sing. And so they heard the choir of heaven singing. Angels sang at creation, Job 38 says, and now the angels are singing at the incarnation, a new creation. God becomes man. God has been, the son has been always existing, but now born into this world. And their message was glory to God in the highest, and on earth peace, goodwill toward men. Now we have a bit of a Difference in translations. The old King James says, peace on earth, goodwill to men. But it appears that a more accurate translation might be something like this. On earth, peace to those on whom his favor rests. But Timothy Keller said, you know what, that's not even right. The first one sounds like there's peace for everyone on earth, and the second one sounds like God has just a few favorites, and they're the only ones that get the peace. Keller says there's a better, more accurate translation. The literal language says, on earth, peace among people, and then the word pleased is there. And it must be on whom God is pleased. But God is not pleased with the sinner. So it has to imply the salvation that has been discussed. Of a heart that turns to trust the Savior. Keller goes on to say we are to be peacemakers. The Sermon on the Mount, Matthew 5, 9. Peacemaker is someone who has peace with God. They realize their own weakness. They've died to self. They're not living for their own agenda And now they have a desire to bring peace to the hearts of others with new skills. They have enormous power to diffuse conflict between other people. And he says Christians should fan out into the world and play their role of peacemaker. And when they do, this peace of God can filter through the entire universe. Real peace with God only comes through the cross. But we are to be peacemakers in a world where there is little peace. God, man, heaven, earth, glory, peace. Well, let's go on to another response. They were to comprehend and now they are to participate, to enter in. Verse 15, and it came to pass as the angels were gone into heaven, 
back into heaven. The shepherds said to one another, let's now go even unto Bethlehem and see. There's the motif again. Let's see this. This thing which has come to pass, which the Lord has made known to us. Now, they're not going to see if it was true. They're going because it is true. You don't study the Bible to see if it is true. I mean, there are times when we examine proofs, but we believe it because it is true. We go forth in its power, directed by its light. The shepherds went to experience that very thing for themselves. Can you imagine the conversation? Wow, we had a, we had a night last night. Angels appeared, you know, filled the heavens, told us that a Savior was born in Bethlehem. That's, you know, half mile away. Well, did you go see him? Nah, too busy. I mean, you know, I, well, you see one baby, you've seen them all. And we've had a hard day, and I was almost asleep. I mean, none, none of that makes sense, right? If you believe it, you're going to act upon it. Hey, let's go and see it. Not see if it's there. But let's see the child, see the things that the Lord, get this, the Lord has made known unto us. That's a beautiful rendering of the text. That's called revelation. The Bible is a revelation from God. He didn't have to reveal himself to us, but he has. In a book. And in reading the book, We see beyond its pages, and our hearts are deeply touched. Oh, if you believe this is the book of God, then you are going to read it just like the shepherds had to go see it, and they did. And so they went with haste, verse 16, that is, with speed, eagerness, quickly, and they found Mary and Joseph, and the babe was lying in a manger. Their sense of eagerness brought to their faith a sense of strength and encouragement. And by the way, when you get back down to verse 20, it says they're going to find out all of these things just as they had been told. Because the word of God never fails. That's Luke 137. That's what was said to Mary. No word of God lacks power. No word of God ever falters. They went and they saw it just as the angels had said. So we respond to Christmas with comprehension, understanding, faith, belief. Then we participate. We enter in to this story. It becomes our story. And then proclamation. That's verse 17. We've got to tell people about the story. When they had seen it, they made known abroad the saying which was told them concerning the child, and all they that heard it wondered at those things which were told them by the shepherds. So the shepherds hear and believe. The people hear and wonder. Now they're amazed, they're astounded, But it doesn't say anything about believing. 
For if they had believed, don't you think a crowd would have shown up at the stable? And maybe it did. Maybe others came. But there are so many people who hear this wonderful story and they're amazed at it. That's a beautiful story. What an amazing story. Incredible story. Don't believe it's true. It's a myth. But it's stirring. No, my friend, this is true. And we are to share it. If you believe it, you'll share it. You cannot keep the news to yourself. They were loud. That was their response. Mary was quiet. If we would suggest a response from Mary, it's found in verse 19. She kept all these things or treasured these things in her heart and pondered them. She did two things. She valued what she knew. That's the word treasure keeping them in her heart, wouldn't forget them, and then pondered their significance. That's the best way to read the Bible. Treasure what it says and ponder its meaning and make sure you apply it to your life. The shepherds were loud. Mary was quiet. One final thing, adoration. And we pick that up in verse 20. The shepherds returned glorifying and praising God for all the things they had heard and Seen just as it had been told to them. They went back new people. Same old job, same challenges, same physical difficulties if they had any, but they went back new people. Why? They went back with joy. The very thing that the angel said would be their possession. I bring you good tidings, it's good news, of great joy, which will be to all people. And this includes you. Their experience matched the message. Psalm 50, whoever offers praise glorifies me. And they glorified God by singing his praises. Think about it. Every time you sing a song to God, you have the opportunity to bring him glory. And if you don't sing with your heart, boom, the opportunity is gone. And if you don't sing with your soul, it's not really what it should be. It's an offering An offering you bring to God that's lame. The Old Testament, you can't bring any lame offerings to God. What if our songs were spiritual offerings? Oh, you say they are, Hebrews 13. Good point. Our songs are spiritual offerings we offer to God. What if we offered a lame song? You say, I can't sing. I think God knows that. (laughs) And so does everyone around you. But that's okay when you sing with heart and soul to God. It's an offering. And that's what they did. I don't think these guys were very great at singing. I'm only guessing maybe they were very good. But they went back glorifying and praising God for everything they had experienced. It touched them. And they shared with others whether others believed it or not. So here's the conclusion of it all 
For unto you this day is born in the city of David a Savior. Unto you. Remember that great prophecy in Isaiah chapter 9? For unto us a child is born, unto us a son is given. Charles Spurgeon preached a sermon on that. And the first, oh, I don't know, uh, one-fourth of it or less was about the a child born, a son given, that the child is the baby born in Bethlehem, the son is the one who will sit on the throne later on, described in Isaiah's prophecy. But then the whole sermon, the, the rest of it, over three quarters of it, was unto us. What if it wasn't unto us? How dark and sad our lives would be. But it is unto us, and if it is unto us, then what does that mean? God's mercy and grace are amazing. But it's not just unto us, it's unto you. That's what it says in Luke. Unto you, shepherds. God has this day made known to you. I'm talking to you. This story. Respond well. Understand it. Embrace it, believe it, participate in it, spread the news abroad, and give God glory. Hear him, see him, share him, praise him. Because Christmas is about your salvation. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, this morning we ask that the powerful message of Christmas a Savior born for sinners, a Messiah come to deliver us, a King to lead us, a Sovereign over us. Oh Lord, may we embrace it all with joy and excitement and tell the world that Christ has come. In your name we pray, amen.